This message comes from Capital One. Your business faces unique challenges and opportunities. That's why Capital One offers a comprehensive suite of financial services backed by the strength of a top 10 commercial bank. Visit CapitalOne.com slash commercial. Member FDIC. It can feel at times like there's no movie that can't be made into a Broadway musical and no such Broadway musical that can't be made back into a movie. The latest project to get this treatment is Mean Girls, a film adaptation of the Broadway adaptation of the beloved Lindsay Lohan comedy. The songs are there, the dances are there, and the nasty, nasty high school drama is there. But does this retelling capture the energy, the style, and the jokes of the original? I'm Glenn Weldon. And I'm Linda Holmes. And today we're talking about Mean Girls, and we are making Fetch happen on Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. Joining me and Glenn today is Waylon Wong. She's the co-host of NPR's daily economics podcast, The Indicator from Planet Money. Welcome back, Waylon. Thank you. Former mathlete reporting for duty. (laughs) Fabulous. Uh, Me too. Me too. Also with us is Andrew Limbong. He's the host of NPR's Book of the Day podcast and a reporter for the Culture Desk. Always great to have you, Andrew. Yo, what's up? What's up? Well, Mean Girls tells the story of Katie, played here by Ann Gowery Rice, who starts her very first year at an American high school after being homeschooled in Africa by her mother. She falls in with a couple of offbeat outcasts, Janice, played by Ali E. Cravalho, and Damien, played by Jaquel Spivey. But before long, she also meets the Plastics, the mean girl clique presided over by Regina George, played here by Renee Rapp. The songs in the film, like the ones in the show, have music by Jeff Richmond, who's the husband and longtime collaborator of Tina Fey, and lyrics by Nell Benjamin, though a bunch of songs were cut and one was added, and Fey wrote the screenplay here as she did for the original film. Mean Girls is in theaters now. Waylon, I want to start with you. What did you think? I liked it. It was a lot of fun. I really love the original, and so I do go in with that kind of looming large in my cultural imagination in my inner life. Like, I think this movie means a lot, has like really shaped my inner life in a lot of ways. And I was looking for this version to kind of deliver another layer of meaning, make me think about the themes in a different way, or I wanted the musical element of it to really enhance the story and kind of open up my understanding in a new way that way. And I don't think it totally got there for me. But I did have a lot of fun. I will say I wanted more set pieces, more musical set pieces. I think they cut some of the songs from the musical. A lot. Yeah. And I could have used all those songs back in the movie. Like if they were going to make a movie musical, I wanted full movie musical. You know, like the movie ends at a school dance and I wanted a huge choreographed number at the end, like at the end of um, She's All That. Like that's what I was looking for. And they end up, I think, being like kind of restrained in how much music they integrate. So I kind of wanted it to go bigger, but I did enjoy the music they did have in there. I loved seeing Tina Fey and Tim Meadows come back and I like cackled throughout at a lot of the writing. Some of the lines obviously repeated from the original, but still hilarious. And then some of the new writing too. I thought it was really funny. I had a lot of fun. Did you feel like you needed that choreographed number at the end to be Rockefeller Skank or could it have been something else? (laughs) I like Rockefeller Skank. I think I just wanted like the whole gym singing and dancing in a a much more kind of movie music. This is a movie musical kind of a way. Or you were looking for like or like the thriller dance in 13 going on 30. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Andrew, I saw you at this screening. I know you were there. Uh What did you think? Uh Uh-huh. You know. Didn't need it, 
but I'm glad it exists. I liked watching it. I, I agree 100% with Wayland. I think the pacing is wonky. I did want more like like high school musical. I did want like kids doing flips and like crazy <laughs> stuff happening. Some more like dancey set PC things. But other than that, I think there is a weight of it. It has the albatross of the original hanging over its neck in a not super good way. <laughs> You know, and it doesn't deal with it. I, th- I think there's a lot of the the memorable lines that we all like know and love from the original Mean Girls. They get delivered in a way in this movie in, in a very knowing fashion. It's like circled. We know that you know this line. And so we're telling you that we know. And it, and it really kind of beleaguers the movie a bit. And Linda, our, our screening was packed with like Mean Girls fans. And I don't remember any of these lines you know, and I'm talking about like making fetch happen or or like um, ex-boyfriends are off limits. Uh, that's the rules of feminism, like those kind of lines mm-hmm. we all know. Mm-hmm. I don't remember like them getting any big laughs from like the full on stands that were at our screening. Right. Mm. I think there were a couple that maybe did. Yeah. But I agree with you that the reaction was a, a little bit muted to those things. And one of the things I thought about is that, you know, it feels to me like a fan project. And I don't say that like a. As a dig, many fan projects are wonderful, but I don't know how much sense this movie would make outside the context of having watched and being a fan of the original movie. I think the story wouldn't necessarily hang together terribly well, and I think thematically I'm not sure it would. Mm. It feels like a tribute to the original movie mm-hmm. in a way that's kind of, I think, exactly what you're talking about. Those kind of familiar lines are really underlined. Glenn, what did you think? Well, I really dug this, which surprised me because I came into this movie with a kind of a chip on my shoulder. I'm coming at this movie from a much different place than uh, you two, uh, Waylon and Andrew, because this is, I come from a much older place. I saw the original movie in theaters. I came out of it thinking, this is fine, but it's not Heathers. And the 1988 <laughs> film Heathers is a high school dark comedy that's actually dark, right? Mm-hmm. And it's also not for nothing for whatever reason. It's the high school film that I imprinted on. It became part of my personality, still is, still cling to it. And between that and Buffy, I have often felt that Everything needs to be said about high school has been said. Mm -hmm. But when I was a good gay uncle and I did my civic duty and I took my niece and sister-in-law to the musical Mean Girls on Broadway, I came out of it thinking that was fine, but it's still not Heather's and it has no memorable songs. I mean, Mm -hmm. they were generic musical theater songs, but they felt so Broadway that it was like watching like a Broadway pastiche, the kind you'd see on 30 Rock, say – or like, you know, when people say, well, it's improv a musical and then they do the same three chord progressions and you're like, uh-huh. well, they kind of nailed it actually. Um, so why did I like this so much better? Well, the stage production was two and a half hours with intermission. This was a little over an hour and a half. Am I that simple and basic and predictable? Yes, yes, and yes, turns out. Um, Nothing wrong with I that, I mean, dude. look, look. <laughs> yeah. I also think <laughs> – I also think it works because we cut some of those really forgettable uh, songs and we worked the others that had potential on Broadway that I don't think the production tapped into. So every song gets a pop makeover instead of a Broadway jazz handy thing. And that gives the songs an energy that I think was lacking on Broadway. Now, you could argue they're pretty generic pop songs the way that the stage production had pretty generic Broadway tunes, but they just work better. And they did other smart things. They got rid of Katie's dad, who didn't add anything. They gave Katie a new and I think much better opening I Want song because in that opening one song in the Broadway show, uh, which I think was called It Roars, she came off as kind of a jerk. (laughs) And here – in the song called What Ifs, she's just nicer and so we get a better arc for her. Like she got more, she's got more places to go. I just thought the reimagining of the show really worked really well. Yeah. 
I preferred the songs in this that were the more Broadway-like mm-hmm. songs, some of which remind me a lot specifically of Jason Robert Brown, who wrote The Last Five mm-hmm. Years and some other things. The songs that are a little more lyrically dense, the songs that have kind of playful lyrics, I enjoyed a lot. Her little song about falling in love in math class I thought was cute. That I Want song at the beginning I think is cute. Not as much the big, like, super serious we're taking on a major pop song. And that comes out specifically, I think, and this was kind of my biggest struggle, I think, with this film, is the way that they imagine Regina George in this movie is very different from Mm -hmm. the Regina George that I know from the original movie, Mm -hmm. which is fine. It's not as if, you know, whoever did this doesn't understand the original movie, right? These are all choices. But the choice here is to present Regina much more, I mean, to me, she's going full, like, Disney. she's going full, like, lead in a 90s erotic thriller where <laughs> she's going to murder people. Mm-hmm. It's really heavy. Like, there's a lot more, like, black leather and sort of, it doesn't, to me, capture quite the insidious nature of those relationships mm-hmm. the way that my initial sense of Regina George did. This Regina is never being nice to your face. She's always just being a huge, terrifying bully all the time. And to me, it took away a little bit from, you know, in the original movie, Katie talks about how the more she sort of is mean to Gretchen and Karen, the more they want to please her. And I don't think you get that here. They go pretty quickly into the poor Gretchen and poor Karen like, that's all hit very hard, including, like, a whole song at the beginning that's just Gretchen talking about how sad she is, mm-hmm. which I think I like it better when that arises a little more slowly. So I, I respect what everybody did here. I think a couple of the songs are really fun little, like, poppy-type things, although they do remind me a lot of other Broadway. Mm-hmm. But I don't – this vision of Regina George, despite how talented Renee Rapp is – and let me under underline that part – it just was not my favorite way to envision this this character. My name is Regina George And I am a massive deer I will grind you to sand Beneath my lieutenant I think she could kill me, you know, like she she will murder me with a knife and quite literally. And and I enjoy that change of dynamic. But in the sort of third act, when Katie gets the upper hand, that's where the math of who's on top and who's scary and who's intimidating doesn't quite like line up. Right. Because this version of Katie does the innocent part really well, but her like mean streak is more indifferent than having like a sort of sense of agency and choosing to be mean. And so then we're stuck with like, you know, in a very, someone's still on the upper ground and it's still Regina by Mm -hmm. the third act, if that makes sense. I thought, you know, Rachel McAdams was believably mean, but Renee Rapp is a Disney villain. She's big. She is Mm -hmm. completely fitting. I think that's the form. The form is this is a musical. Emotions are heightened. You have to play to the back of the house, even if that house is Mm -hmm. a movie house. I thought it Mm -hmm. fit. And I thought you have to make different connections and do different work. I particularly want to shout out Avantika, who plays Karen, the dumb one, because playing the dumb one is on the surface very easy to do, but it's very difficult to do without leaning into stuff that everyone who's ever played a dumb character has done. I thought she located something very specific and very funny 
And in the song Sexy, which is the song about uh, Halloween costumes, mm-hmm. uh, she is just she's just having such a great time. And that song is a banger. And that set piece hit like right when I was like looking at my watch. Like, <laughs> we need a big number right about now. Yeah. I wanted to shout out L.E.E. Cravacho and Jacal Spivey. I loved them as Janice and Damien. And um, Ali Kravaku, in particular, I thought really brought something to this. I really enjoyed watching her. She opens the whole movie mm-hmm. with a very strong kind of almost like Greek chorus type number. And I really, really enjoyed watching her. And I don't think I'd seen her anything since like Moana. So I was like, oh, hey, it's it's Moana. It's Janice Ian. I loved it. Yeah. And I think Jaquel Spivey, too. Damien is such, to me, a, a beloved take on the sort of what can be a very stereotypical gay best friend, right? And I think what I love about this is that there's more than one way to be a broad characterization of a gay best friend. And I think this is one that also works, even though it's in a lot of ways quite different. And I think sells the heck out of it. You know, I enjoyed that part a lot. I want to say Tim Meadows doing heroes work. <laughs> I did some research. I watched the unknown movie Mean Girls 2, Ooh, the direct boy. to free form. Oh boy, that's over and above the Whoa, Call of Duty. really? He holds it together. <laughs> He's like in this. that? He's in Mean Girls yeah. 2? Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> He's the only good part of that movie. But I was like, wow, this man is really committed to this character. And I, I gotta really respect that. Can I ask you about something that struck me? And I, this is probably in the original movie. I don't recall. I only saw it once. But there's an assembly where the Tina Fey character talks to the girls about how girls are mean to girls girls and they get a stern talking to when there's trust exercises. And I understand that's the whole, that's everything what this movie is. It's called Mean Girls. It just felt like I was kind of a circular firing squad, right? And and like there's there's 50% of the population of this high school that are being mean too, right? And, and I just felt, I don't know, it, it, that's one of those things that the connective tissue that that didn't connect for me. But I, uh, you know, that's the whole point of the film, right? I, I think the farther you get down that road to like everything, as you mentioned, Glenn, getting bigger and more literally theatrical, mm-hmm. the harder it is to then make that turn and try to have a semi-serious conversation. I think the big, big, bigger of the rest of it makes that turn a little harder than it is in the in the original film. I think another kind of tough thing about landing that scene and really selling it is that, you know, since this is a modern film, they layer in the social media aspect mm-hmm. to it and the smartphone mm-hmm, aspect of it, mm-hmm. which is obviously absent in the original because of the the time in which it came out. And I don't think this movie does anything to reckon with the harm that would be amplified by social media in those same situations. I mean, I mm-hmm. appreciated that they still kept a paper analog burn book, but they layer mm-hmm. all this social media stuff on top where you see that kids are posting like on their TikTok accounts about what's happening in school. And, you know, not to make this into like a realistic docudrama about, you know, a school actually falling apart over bullying, but they lean into the kind of fun aspects of social media to do these montages, which I did think were really well done. But they don't talk about what that would do to, again, magnify the harm caused by these in-person interactions. And I feel like there was an opportunity in that assembly scene to maybe deal with some of that. And then that would make this film feel more present, more kind of addressing modern day dynamics. And instead, they just kind of do a recreation of what happens in the original, which was already kind of an after-school special way to deal, I think, with a lot of these issues. 
But then again, if you are going big and this is the Broadwayization or whatever of this story, then you don't really have any choice but to do kind of like a big assembly with like every cast member on stage. Yeah, I think that's right. When you get into these conversations, it's easy to feel, as I do right now, like you want to say, look, I do get that it's supposed to be fun and big and funny and broad. And it's not, as you said, a docudrama. But I think there is an effort to have it both ways at least a little bit and to be saying something at least a little bit actually resonant about what school is like for a certain percentage of kids. But listen, shout out to the mathletes. (laughs) As someone who went to a national math competition only because my school was in Delaware. You know, I appreciate the love of math. As I said, everybody in this is really talented. I think Ann Gowery Rice, who is taking over such a famous part mm-hmm. here, um, as the the people who played this role on Broadway did, does a, an absolutely fine job. It's it's It was an up and down experience for me. I enjoyed parts of it, but I was a little meh on the the final product. I don't know if you guys noticed the weird amount of product placement. Well, it felt weird to me. It actually took me out of the movie at certain points. Mm. There is like a point where um, Katie is using a compact and she's applying some kind of lip product and you see the logo for the cosmetics company prominently on the compact. And then someone says, what product is that? And she says, it's the Elf Lip Blah Blah Blah, which mm-hmm. is probably a product I can buy right now. I did notice. I did notice yeah. the Elf thing now that you mention it. And then at the math competition, they say, oh, this math competition is sponsored by SeatGeek. And then the Kevin character shouts out, yeah, SeatGeek. And I was like, am I watching an <laughs> infomercial? It was very funny to me. And I'm like, is, what point. are the economics of this movie? You know, why <laughs> was it? were point. they contractually obligated not only to display a logo, but to actually say the name of the company, too, and then something nice about it? It was very odd to me. I did think the SeatGeek thing was a joke because it seemed like something... Kevin as a, I assume a guy who listens to podcasts, <laughs> you know, like, like that brand of podcast would definitely use. <laughs> it does seem clear that there was some, uh, the Ziki thing went right by me. Cause I just thought that sounded like some random sponsor of a, a, a mathlete competition. Yeah, so, <laughs> well, I think that we all enjoyed this movie to, to some degree. And we want to know what you think about mean girls. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PCHH up next. What's making us happy this week. This message comes from Capital One, offering commercial solutions you can bank on. Now more than ever, your business faces unique challenges and opportunities. That's why Capital One offers a comprehensive suite of financial services, all tailored to your short and long-term goals. Backed by the strength and stability of a top 10 commercial bank, their dedicated experts work with you to build lasting success. Explore the possibilities at CapitalOne.com slash commercial, a member FDIC. This message comes from NPR sponsor Rosetta Stone, an expert in language learning for 30 years. Right now, NPR listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership to 25 different languages for 50% off. Learn more at rosettastone.com NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor BetterHelp. When you keep your stress bottled up, it can eat away at you. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to make them better. Try BetterHelp Online Therapy, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp at BetterHelp.com NPR today to get 10% off your first month. This is my voice. I can tell you a lot about me. 
and I'm not changing it for anyone. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of NPR episodes centered on Black experiences. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts. Now it's time for our favorite segment of this week and every week, What's Making Us Happy This Week. Waylon, what's making you happy this week? Well, I recently saw the movie Maestro, and then that sent me down a rabbit hole of looking up old Leonard Bernstein videos on YouTube um, because he did all this television, right? At the height of his career, he was Mm -hmm. doing all these television specials. And so what I've really enjoyed is Bernstein's Young People's Concerts, which these were concerts that aired mostly in the 60s. He did them for years and years. I think over a decade and they're all on YouTube and they're fabulous. I mean, he has such a great way of talking about classical music in an accessible way. He's super telegenic and I really enjoyed, he did one on Hulse Planets and he does another one that's an introduction to Mahler. And so, I don't know, I just feel like uh, a young Lydia Tarr watching my Bernstein videos and, you know, the movie Maestro, you know, it's like about his marriage but you don't get actually like a lot of him like conducting and actually doing music right they kind of keep that to a minimum because they focus on the relationship so then I found myself kind of missing that from Maestro so then I went to YouTube to just watch Leonard Bernstein being Leonard Bernstein and uh, I've been having a great time that is awesome Leonard Bernstein young people's concerts available on YouTube thank you Waylon Andrew Limbong, what is making you happy this week? So I've been watching this uh, YouTube channel called What Makes This Song Stink. Um, <laughs> it's by this guy named Pat Finnerty. Uh, I think from my research, he's just like a musician based out of Philly. And what he does is, is he makes these little essays that turn into something much bigger, right? They're nominally breaking down songwritings of songs that stink. Um, some previous entries are like Danny California right um <laughs> or like a like a train song or a, like three doors down kryptonite which you know i think it's a great song but you know that's not a here nor there <laughs> what i like about this channel is that it's not just unadulterated hater energy it's oddly quite positive about music and songs and all of the essays turn into um just like Things about something else, right? Like this most recent episode, which is about um, the Jason Aldean song, Try That in a Small Town, which does sound like um, an easy target, but I think he breaks it down in in such a way that you you learn something new. And I I think uh, there's like this clip, there's one moment where he takes the lyrics of the song and puts it to Ohio, you know, an an old classic standard that I think is an example of the quirky way in which he's like not just tearing down and dumping on these songs, but pointing a, a greater point out. Try that in a small town. See how far you make it down the road. Yeah, and, and I think it's just an extremely funny way to spend, I think it's about an hour, but like it's a good hour. It's a solid hour. <laughs> so that's What Makes This Song Stink, which you can find on YouTube. Thank you, Andrew. Glenn Weldon, what is making you happy this week? Season five of Fargo just wrapped on FX and Hulu. This is creator Noah Hawley's anthology series. It's a black comedy. It's a crime drama. It's inspired by the Coen brothers, 1996 film. And every season has kind of, you know, referenced that film in different ways. But this season goes further. It is a series of uh, very intentional riffs that engage and play with the film without relying on it. It's really satisfying. The cast is stacked, including 
Juno Temple, who, if you know her from Ted Lasso, where she played Keeley, and you start the season to hear her do that Minnesota accent, and you think, oh, she's going so broad, she's play acting, but damn, if she does not dig in and really show you layers to that performance. The final episode of the season, there is a series of scenes between her and a character played by Sam Spruill. And their work together manages to sneak up to the theme of the original movie, which, you know, has to do with how awful human beings can be to each other and how cruel and violent and hateful. But also that basic human decency has a power that can overcome all that. And I do think the series is actually putting it forward sincerely. I'm in the tank for Noah Hawley. Uh, I was loving this season and then – Jennifer Jason Lee shows up in a blunt cup bob talking like William F. Buckley and I just rolled over and, and, and uh, <laughs> yep. I rolled over for a belly rub is what I did. Uh, that is Fargo season five on FX and Hulu. All right. Thank you very much, Glenn. What is making me happy this week is that I've been spending a lot of time with my new PS5. And one of the games that I've been playing is called Two Point Campus. It is a sim game from a company that also made a game called Two Point Hospital that I liked. Two Point Campus, uh, your task is to build what's ultimately a series of college campuses and make them successful and highly regarded and, you know, full of happy students and fulfilled staff. Uh, You hire the professors, you hire the assistants and the janitors. Make sure you hire enough janitors or the place gets really messy. (laughs) And it all sounds really dry, but they style it in a very cartoony way. Style. So, although you are genuinely trying to solve all these interlocking problems that are are sort of like a big puzzle, which is one of the things I like about this kind of game, it's also there's there's this underlying silliness to it because you know, for instance, your training room for your staff has you put them into a big machine that looks like a brain, <laughs> and the, if there's an on campus party, if you zoom in, the students are doing like very funny dance moves. It's all very amusingly animated. I so admire the wit that went into the presentation of it because I had also finally played my way through The Last of Us, which is not a whimsical, (laughs) fun, upbeat game. So I turned to this very silly cartoon uh, campus sim and it has been extremely joyful and fun and it is making me happy this week. If you want links for what we recommended, plus some more recommendations, sign up for our newsletter. It's at npr.org slash newsletter. That brings us to the end of our show. Waylon Wong, Andrew Limbong, Glenn Weldon, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you. That's fun. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. You can all always sit with us. <laughs> this episode was produced by Liz Metzger, Isabella Gomez Sarmiento, and it was edited by Jessica Reedy and Mike Katzoff. Hello Come In provides our theme music. Thanks for listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. I'm Linda Holmes, and we'll see you all next week. This message comes from NPR sponsor Charles Schwab with their original podcast, Choiceology. Choiceology is a show about the psychology and economics behind people's decisions. Download the latest episode and subscribe at schwab.com slash podcast. Support for NPR and the following message come from IXL Online. Is your child asking questions on their homework you don't feel equipped to answer? IXL Learning uses advanced algorithms to give the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. One subscription gets you everything. One site for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And NPR listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com NPR. What does it mean to be Black in America? 
In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as varied, nuanced, and dynamic as Black experiences, you'll hear. It means everything. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts.